At 7.40, for a second time, the world's attention will be drawn to a historic summit between US President Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Could we be about to see an interim denuclearization deal, like, for example, the North dismantling its Yongbyon nuclear complex in return for sanctions relief? Let's first bring in Mr. Robert Gallucci, Professor of Diplomacy at Georgetown University, but a former US nuclear negotiator who's seen hopes rise and fall in the past on this very issue. Good morning to you from Seoul. Well, good uh, good evening or good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for joining us. I mean, given the weight of history and the way we could easily dismiss this process of being a kind of never-ending cycle that uh, can be manipulated by the nature of North Korea's regime, are you pessimistic or do you retain some level of optimism for what might come out of this second summit? Whenever I'm given a choice between pessimism and optimism over the North Korean nuclear program, I prefer realism to either of those. And, and realistically, we know that we, there are elements of this play that we have seen before. Uh, we have met with the North Koreans over decades about the nuclear weapons program. Uh, we've gotten commitments uh, from the North Koreans. So if there's skepticism or cynicism or indeed pessimism, uh, we understand why. Uh, at the same time, we know that the alternative doesn't look very good. The alternative we saw in 2017 uh, was of a really confrontation that was quite protracted. So one has hopes, but one has to be realistic about the situation that, as I said, we have seen elements of before. And indeed, while President Donald Trump and uh, former President Bill Clinton, they they may share some things in common, like their office, they obviously don't have a huge degree of similarities as people. But there is the widely held report that uh, Bill Clinton was um, pondering military strikes against North Korea before negotiations reached uh, at least a temporary uh, period of dialogue. So can we say, actually, that there is a similarity there to be drawn? We came from fire and fury to unprecedented summits, now a second one on the horizon. Sure. Uh, it, it, it is, in fact, a matter of history that many of us were present for and witnessed that uh, the United States prepared for the possibility of what we uh, inaccurately call a surgical strike uh, against the North's uh, nuclear program at the time in in uh, the late spring, early summer of 1994 to take out the facilities at Yangbyon. Uh, and the president, I, my own view is, quite plausibly would have done it if necessary to stop the weapons program. He didn't have to, as it, as it turns out. Uh, and we had an intervention by former President Carter. We had a return to the negotiating table. Uh, we had the death of uh, Kim Il-sung following uh, the, that, the arrival of his son, uh, Kim Jong-il. So there are lots of things that happened that may have uh, impacted the course of history, but certainly we were on the brink of uh, at least a possible, quite plausible use of military force in a limited way. And I think that many of us thought through much of 2017 we were about an ICBM test away from the possible use 
of force against uh, North Korean facilities. Again, intended as a surgical strike, but one never knows when you're starting the Second Korean War rather than uh, launching a simple surgical strike. Indeed. Now, I mean, it's an academic question, but we've we've come to the point now where North Korea's nuclear capabilities have become significantly more advanced than in the early 1990s. Does part of you feel that it would have been better to just get the surgical strike, in inverted commas, which I know you've questioned the the definition of, uh, out of the way back then, rather than even pondering that kind of action now? No, that isn't... um, I'm (laughs) being in... Being teaching at Georgetown, I'm not opposed to academic questions, but I don't think that this uh, that, that this is such a mystery. Uh, what actually happened when we got back to the negotiating table is that we got a freeze on that facility, a dismantlement of the facilities at Yangon, and for almost ten years, actually nine years, uh, there was no production of plutonium. There was no manufacture of nuclear weapons, uh, and this is in contrast to what our own intelligence community thought would have been production of about 100 nuclear weapons by the time George W. Bush became president. And as it turned out, uh, when George W. Bush became president, North Korea had exactly zero nuclear weapons, as best we know. So the deal had a very good impact in in delaying. It didn't ultimately solve uh, the problem. I don't think a surgical strike would have done better than the negotiation uh, done, and it certainly uh, people would have died. And to my knowledge, none died in negotiations. So I'm, I'm a, as you can tell, something of an advocate of negotiating, provided one is always prepared to have the negotiations fail, because they do fail. Right. The, the, the problem, of course, that we're left with is this apparently cyclical process of North Korea reaching these agreements and then not allowing full global inspection. And we, we face that prospect again, the, the verifiable part of denuclearization that's being demanded. Do we, therefore, from the outside world now, have to reconsider what we're either demanding or offering in return? You know, we have a lot, we, broadly speaking, have a lot of experience with inspections. And we know what a good inspection regime looks like. I mean, think about what happened after the first Gulf War in Iraq, an inspection regime under Resolution 687, quite comprehensive and successful. So we know what a, a good regime looks like, and uh, uh, it wouldn't be surprising if the North Koreans, as they did in the 2000s, were resistant to an effective, transparent process. Uh, but you're exactly right. That if, this, if these negotiations fail, and you were trying to guess uh, what issues they were more likely than to fail over, the comprehensiveness and the intrusiveness of the inspections might be just such an issue. President Trump seems to be really trying to sell the economic angle. He tweeted this past weekend that North Korea will become a different kind of rocket, an economic one. Is there anything really different, though? About I mean, President Trump has given himself a lot of credit. Is there anything really different about what he's saying and offering behind the scenes in negotiations or the likes of Stephen Began? compared with what you, yourself, and your fellow negotiators were offering North Korea back in the 90s? The, the truth is, I don't know uh, exactly what Steve is saying, and I don't, certainly don't know what the President of the United States is saying. Uh, we said things to the North Koreans about uh, becoming part of the Asian economic miracle, whatever exactly that meant 
uh, we talked about normalizing relations. We were in the process of delivering 2,000 megawatt light water reactors worth about $4 billion at the time. So there were real economic development uh, elements to the deal. There was, there was this language about normalizing relations uh, and investments, etc. cetera. Uh, a, a lot of that never came to pass. Some of it did. The construction of the reactors got quite far along before it was halted. So I, I don't know how much of what is being said now is really new. Um, I'm sure that there's, a, if you asked if I was had some skepticism at the beginning, if you asked us the chairman, this chairman Kim of North Korea has some skepticism about uh, real estate dealer, now president of the United States, uh, will ultimately deliver to his country. I bet there is some skepticism there. So we're just going to have to, uh, I think, wait this one out, understanding that both Kim and Trump have invested personally in this cemetery, and they do not wish to have it uh, fail or appear to fail. Professor Galucci, thank you so much. Real pleasure to have you and your background on the line with us today. Thank you very much for having me. And perhaps one of the lessons we learned there is how subject progress is to change. Uh, And frankly, subject fear is to change as well. The passing of regimes in North Korea even, but the even faster passing of administrations in the US and, and South Korea from Clinton to Bush. Did that ultimately play a big part in returning to tensions the, the 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 summit though that we're about to see as we've just been warned or, or cautioned by professor Colucci there it is a wait and see process we can reflect further though with dr Isang Sua, a senior research fellow and head of the career center at institute for security and development policy thank you for joining us yeah thank you for having me and and we are speaking to you from Sweden, uh, which has been an important country as a kind of go-between over the years between the US and North Korea diplomatically. Also, the the location for recent high-level US-North Korea talks. Could could you share your thoughts on, on the decision to hold this summit in Hanoi, Vietnam, rather than, say, for example, Sweden, and what that city means for the US and, and North Korea? Uh, yes, uh for the U.S. perspective, uh, the experience of Vietnamese development could be a model for the future North Korea when it comes to economic reform. Actually, there is uh, some similarity between Vietnam and North Korea. For example, like North Korea, Vietnam was also an enemy country of the U.S., and the country faced the U.S. economic sanctions for a long time after the India-Vietnam War. However, uh, Vietnam has become one of Asia-faced growing economies since it has, uh, it has become uh, strategic partners of Washington in the mid-1990s. Uh, therefore, the U.S. expects uh, North Korea will also follow the same way uh, Vietnam has done. But uh, from uh, Pyongyang perspective, uh, I don't think uh, Pyongyang is just purely is uh, following the uh, the Vietnamese experience because uh, more concern for the regime is uh, while they want to solve the economic problem, uh, but uh, without uh, 
taking any political risk because the Vietnamese model is uh, based on full uh, opening up uh, its economy, which could bring uh, more international outside information and uh, some pressure for the regime to change its uh, fundamental economic structure. So I don't think... um, uh, even though North Korea is interested in, in uh, Vietnamese economic development model, but at the end, uh, I think they will refuse uh, and then uh, going for a different way to develop the economy. Yeah. I mean, there is this yeah. constant concern that we're being toyed with here that North Korea knows how the outside world would be speculating on the location. But perhaps we should let ourselves be toyed with and use that relationship to to get something that we really want what's your expectation of this of this summit after singapore was a little disappointing perhaps very disappointing no concrete progress can we get further this time around yeah actually the singapore summit last year was quite symbolic and i think the most significance of the summit in singapore was uh, the first face-to-face meeting between Trump and Kim. Uh, and uh, the two leaders addressed a, a very broad outline of future peace regime and denuclearization on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, but I think the main problem was uh, just one side demanded that the other side to take uh, action first. Uh, but as we know, since there is no trust between the two countries, and also there was no concrete action plans and roadmap, uh, so I think uh, the negotiation was developed for a while. Uh, but uh, uh, the next summit, uh, the second summit, uh, two leaders has is such a pressure to make a more detailed plan for denuclearization and the peace agreement than the Singapore summit. Yeah, just, just drawing a little bit further on that peace agreement, because we've reflected a lot in recent days about whether or not we might see denuclearization progress. Something that might be different to what we've seen in the past would be a, a formal declaration to end the North, uh, the Korean War. Of course, there have been speculations that uh, the U.S. would be against that without significant concessions from North Korea. What, what's your expectation there? Could, could we actually see a formal end to the war in the coming weeks? Yeah, actually, North Korea demanded the end of war declaration before the Singapore summit, uh, but it was not included in the agreement in Singapore. So I think this time... Uh, North Korea is likely to demand again, and the U.S. the U.S. is likely to agree to offer the end of war declaration, because for the U.S. is uh, sort of just a declaration is a symbolic uh, a political gesture, uh, while uh, for North Korea is just the first step for long-term securing their security guarantee. Uh, but I think a more priority for North Korean regime is uh, obviously lifting sanctions. But uh, uh, it is still difficult for the U.S. 
because it's a complicated issue. Uh, it should be passed by the U.S. Congress. So for the U.S., uh, most easiest option they can offer is uh, the India War Declaration. Doctor E, I, I mean, I mean, there are concerns that 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 could send out not just symbolic signals but practical signals of great repercussion in terms of what North Korea would then be capable of in a state of peace but we'll see how that also plays out ultimately the waiting game continues thank you so much for joining us today